this isn't the end of the fun because after, after the service, we've got some really precious people that are going to get baptized over here and right after the service. So if you want to come and celebrate with us, we just welcome you. Just stick around for a few minutes and we're going to have fun doing that. Um, but it is good to see everybody. Let's see. I've got one of these. Here we go. Y'all doing okay today? Praise God. All right. Uh, if you are new with this, my name's Scott. One of the pastors here at Generations, and it is awesome to be with you this morning. Uh, this morning, we are smack dab in the middle of a series that we've been in this summer called The Seven, uh, well, called The Deadlies, but we're talking about the seven deadly sins. And uh, we've had more fun than you think you ought to have talking about sin, but it's been, hopefully it's, it's been a blessing to you. It's been a blessing to me. I tell you what, every single week uh, of preparing for it, I just get convicted and humbled and I realize I, I'm pretty much guilty of all these things. And so God's just growing us all up together. Amen. These seven deadly sins are at the root of pretty much every other sin that you can think of. Every other sin. And we're spending this time, the reason why we're spending the time, we feel like the Lord led us to do this this summer because the truth is, for believers, sin is still destructive. Did you know that? So we get saved, and, you know, it's easy to think, well, I'm saved now. I don't even have to, like, think about it anymore. But sin is still destructive. It can be a destructive force in your life. Christ has come. He set us free from, from the power of sin and death, but did you know we can still allow sin in our life to go unchecked? If it goes unchecked, it can destroy the life that God has in mind for you. It can destroy it. It can make us totally ineffective for the kingdom of God. Now, having said that, let me just kind of spend a, one little minute here reminding us of this sobering reality. None of us are ever going to achieve perfection, right? So we're never going to achieve perfection in this life. There was only one perfect man, Jesus Christ. So we're not going to achieve perfection. We know that going in. And the truth is, sin management is not really the point of our life. That's not the primary purpose of our life. Our primary purpose is chasing after Jesus and sharing his good news. That's what God called us to. But what we do find is that sin can derail that purpose. And so, on the one hand, we're, we're teaching this series, The Deadlies. And, you know, I, my hope is that it's like a light shined into our, our hearts so that we can find freedom. Sometimes it kind of reveals things we didn't even know were there, you know. Um, sometimes other people knew it was there in you, but you didn't. Uh, so that kind of that light shines some truth into us. But what this summer series hopefully is also should be doing for every single one of us is filling all of us with an enormous amount of humility. Amen? I mean, if you're not walking out of here with a little more humility than you came in with, something, hap something happened. I had a miscommunication. I didn't do my job very well. Okay, so we should all be walking out of here with a little bit more humility because at the end of the day, we're all on this journey with Jesus. We're all, what we all have in common is our desperate need for his grace. There's never a time you're going to lick all these sins to the point where I don't even need grace anymore. I got it, right? I'm, I made it there. No, 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 no. Every single day we are in desperate need for his grace. His grace. And you know what that should translate into? What that should look like when we're interacting with each other? A lot more love. 
I mean, if, if you realize, I'm in desperate need of God's grace today. Uh, I just got walloped with a big dose of humility. What that's going to look like on each other is a lot more love for each other. So that, that's good. That's always good. Because Christ loved us. We walk away knowing Christ loved us. He showed his grace to every single one of us. So generations, I want you to know this this morning. Generations is a safe place. Okay? It's a safe church. Is it a safe place? I mean, I'm claiming that. Is it? It has to be a safe place. This has to be a, a perfect place for imperfect people. That's what we want this place to be. And if, if you don't have it all together, then join the club, right? Join the club. We welcome you here. Let's come celebrate God's grace with us. And let's walk together towards our freedom together, right? We like to say God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there, right? So we want to we wanna walk towards freedom. That's, that's, that's one of our goals here. So praise God. Today, I have to say, is especially humbling for me because we're talking about something I can't even pretend to have totally conquered in my life, okay? And that is the sin of gluttony. Uh, sin of gluttony. I have put this off as long as I possibly could. I asked God if maybe we could just skip it, right? <laughs> we got this one, right? We don't even really talk about it. Uh, God said, no, you need to talk about it. Um, so it, it's a little rough. I, but you know what? I have to tell you, I'm so encouraged. I'm encouraged because so many of you that I've had these one-on-one conversations with and even shared my struggles, so many of you show me so much love and compassion, right? And, and, and I know something else, that the first step toward healing in any of these sins the first step, we've looked at it every, at the end of every sermon in this series, the first step is what? Confession. Right. Yes. Confession is the first step towards healing. So, here is me confessing to a whole room full of people. Um, now, gluttony is, is also one of those sins, when you think about it, it's one of those sins we don't really preach on too much in the church. In some respects, gluttony's kind of become one of those acceptable vices. I mean, we can be honest with each other, right? It kind of feels like this acceptable vice, you know, not murdering anybody. So, yay me. Just gluttony. Um, you know, compared to other things, it doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem so bad, right? Gluttony's kind of like this charming, funny little weakness, you know, that we all have. Rather than a sin against God, which is where we're going to see it is. But it seems kind of charming, and, you know, it's all right. Um, you know, gluttony is another vice that's it's kind of ingrained in our culture. All over the world, we see this. The world celebrates overindulgence. We celebrate it, right? We work towards that. That's like the goal of every person on this earth, to reach a place where we can overindulge. So that's, the, that's, that's just the heart of man. Enjoying too much. It's like a badge of honor, right? And we as Christians, even in the church, we can take scriptures where God says that he is more than enough, and we can twist that to mean, well, God wants me stuffing my face with as much as I can get my hands on, right? We, we can, we can kind of go in a wrong direction there. So gluttony, when it comes down to it, it just steps on too many toes, it ruffles too many feathers, which is why we got to talk about it. 
We got to talk about it. God's not going to let us off the hook. He's not going to let me off the hook. So now, let's talk about what, what a working definition of gluttony. <clears throat> I would say it like this. Gluttony is an excessive or distorted appetite for pleasure. An excessive or distorted appetite for pleasure. Now, you notice I didn't say a, an excessive or distorted appetite for food. That's usually what we think of. And it most often, that's the way it presents itself. But really, it can, it can present itself in any kind of excessive or distorted appetite for pleasure. Anything that's out of proportion. More food, more entertainment, more television, more internet, more comfort, more drink, more medication, the news. You can even be a workaholic, right? You've all heard that term? That suffix, aholic, is a, is a good uh, clue that there's gluttony involved. So if gluttony could be summed up in one word, that word would be more. More. Now, think about it. There's nothing inherently wrong with pleasure because God invented pleasure, right? I mean, the first place he invented for, for humanity was this Garden of Eden, a very pleasurable place. So God invented pleasure. The problem was when something is out of control, that God meant to be enjoyed in balance, in moderation, and it, it gets out of control. It's when we get fixated on something that takes the place of God on our throne. Then we're in trouble. Then we're in trouble. And, and let me be plain about this, because I know there's all sorts of issues. Lots of us, you know, we face all kinds of things in our culture with, that have to do with shame and guilt, especially when it comes to eating or weight and things like that. When you're dealing with food, there's a lot of shame out there. Gluttony, listen to this, friends. Gluttony is not about having a weight problem. It's about having a heart problem, okay? A spiritual heart problem. That can lead to a physical heart problem. But it's, it's about having a spiritual heart problem, right? So hear me today, you can actually be overweight and not have a gluttony problem. You can be skin and bones and have some serious problems with the sin of gluttony. Okay? So that's just the truth. So I wanted to kind of get that out of the way. As so often happens, uh, what we find in the Bible, what we find the Bible says is often not exactly what religion says. Right? Which, Which is why we serve Jesus. We don't serve a religion. We serve Jesus, and we, we want to know what the Word says, what the Word actually says. The remedy for gluttony, it turns out, according to Scripture, isn't necessarily complete rejection of something or abstinence from something. It's not necessarily that. More often than not, what the Bible teaches is a concept called moderation. This is what we see over and over throughout the Bible. Now, we don't preach a lot about moderation, I've got to be honest, Because, quite frankly, moderation is a word that makes us a little nervous, okay? It makes us a little nervous to talk about moderation. Because moderation isn't a simple yes or no, right? I mean, think about the things that you, you live your life in moderation. It's not a simple yes or no. Those things make it really easy. They don't, moderation doesn't always have clearly defined lines. Some things are really easy, right? Murder. You don't murder in moderation, right? You just don't do it, right? Just don't do it. If you're thinking about murder, nah, just say no. Don't murder. Stealing, always wrong. Just don't do it. Don't steal ever, not even a little. So, no, you know, no, no stealing. But then we get to things like 
chocolate cake, fried chicken. And we're like, well, you know, that's just good comfort food. I mean, come on, right? Uh, There can't be anything wrong with that. But the truth is, I mean, the, the hard truth is overindulging in those things, according to the word of God, is sin. Overindulging is sin. You know, we don't like to acknowledge that, but it's true. It's also tough to lay down rules for moderation, right? Uh, It's a lot easier to get kind of legalistic about stuff that the Bible really doesn't condemn or just turn a total blind eye towards things that we really ought to, things that maybe we ought to be paying more attention to. So it turns out an amazing thing. Being a follower of Christ actually requires you to use your brain and your conscience, Go figure. What? Yeah, so you, you do. You have, to, you have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You have to use your brain. You use your conscience. We follow the word. So now, kind of what I'm alluding to here, keep in mind what we're not talking about when we're talking about when we speak of moderation. Um, we're not talking about things that are sin in any amount, right? Like I, I said, murder. It's never good, uh, right? Your problem isn't that you overdo pornography, right? There's no such thing as sin in moderation. Gossip, there's things the Bible absolutely forbids. Gossip, ouch, right? Stealing, we talked about that. Jealousy, we're not supposed to be a little jealous. We're not supposed to be jealous. That's the kingdom way. So these, and, and so what's helpful to understand too is those aren't examples of gluttony, We'll get to those things at a different week in this series. Those aren't examples of gluttony. They're things that the Bible specifically condemns. They aren't some godly blessing that we just took too far. Um, Which brings to an important fact about gluttony when you're trying to keep some of this straight. The sin of gluttony almost always starts with something good that gets misused. Okay? So the sin of gluttony always starts with something good that's, that's become misused. I want to look at the words of Jesus Christ. You can't go wrong reading Jesus Christ. In the book of Luke, this is kind of where we're going to be parked today. If you have your Bible, you can turn here. In Luke chapter 12, verse 22, these are some pretty familiar words, but I think they're going to shed some light, and we're going to kind of dig into this a little. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And skip down to 29. He says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But rather, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. That's a picture of a very generous God. That's not a picture of a God that's trying to withhold from you and trying to, so you'll miss out on something. That is a generous God who loves you. 
So we hear Jesus asking this crowd, why are you so preoccupied with food? Why are you so preoccupied? See, food's important. Food is important. Food's even in the Bible. Like God uh, marks lots of festivals and things like that with food. You know, food's important. It's an essential part of our lives. But over-preoccupation with food can represent actually something that's going on inside us that needs healing. And, And that's why gluttony, more than just being a matter of the stomach, it's a matter of a heart. It's far more than a matter of the heart. And so what's going on inside us is often revealed by what we're stuffing inside us. It reveals something's going on. Frederick Buechner said this, A glutton is one who raids the icebox seeking a cure for spiritual malnutrition. What have we been saying every week? Spiritual problems need a spiritual cure, right? And a glutton raids that icebox looking for a spiritual cure. Now, just like we've seen with some of the other sins that we've looked at, gluttony is a lot more complex than we think. It, it, it is, but because our relationship with food is complex. You know, it's psychologists and those guys, they'll, they'll even tell you how we enjoy food, how we identify with food. You know, there's foods you probably grew up with. There's a food probably you can walk into a place and smell it, and you are like seven years old. How many of you are like that? I'm that way, right? There's something that just takes you there. Food is powerful, right? Um, and, we, and we soothe ourselves with food. The, the ancient church fathers who, you know, spent a lot of time on this sort of thing, they identified five distinct ways that gluttony expresses itself. And so we're going to look at these five ways that gluttony expresses itself this morning uh, so we can better recognize when gluttony is lurking beneath the surface in our life, okay? So the first way that gluttony expresses itself is behavior that is too picky. We can think of the phrase too picky. And I brought something to help us visualize this, and that is Starbucks. What's, what's better than Starbucks, right? Uh Think of this kind of gluttony as, this is about needing it my way. Needing it my way, right? Um, Think of the phrase, just so. I have to have it just so, right? Now, there's nothing against Starbucks. I bought this myself this morning and I've been drinking it, right? So (laughs) nothing, nothing against Starbucks. But think of the ways that you can customize your drink, right? It like becomes you, right? It like becomes your identity, and that's, oh, I'm a, you know, triple latte with a blah, 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 and all that. You know, it's exactly the way you want. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a preference. Every single one of us in this room have a preference for something. You like mustard, you like ketchup, whatever it is. You know, you've got a preference. That's no big deal, but it's when it becomes a habit, a need of our heart, and we cannot be satisfied unless we have it my way, just so, now, when we, were, when we were young and just got married, Melissa, uh, she worked at Starbucks. And so she would come home with these amazing stories about some of the people. And uh, not to step on your toes if, if you're this person, but she, she, like, there was this one lady she was telling me about. She was like, well, uh, whatever her name was came in again today. And, uh, you know, I guess she was, was she a nice lady? 
Yeah, she was pretty nice. But let me tell you what. There was like only one person in that whole store who could make her drink because she had to have it at like 174.5 degrees, and it had to be exact. And if it wasn't exact, would she bring that thing back and have it fixed? She would have it fixed. It had to have this exact something, like how many and a quarter? One lady, one lady had an eight sugar mocha. Eight sugar mocha. Two and a quarter packets of equal. A quarter packet of equal. You have to do a lot of experimentation to understand that you need two and one quarter packet of equal. So this is, this is kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, it's, it's so funny. Um, C.S. Lewis calls this the sin of delicacy in one of his books. And that I have to have my food just like this. The temperature in the room has to be just like this. This temperature. It can't be anything else. The thread count in my pillows must be this, right? It's the Goldilocks syndrome. Can't, can't, don't give me something too hard or too soft. It's going to be right there, right there. The glutton often insists on being pampered, right? And for things to be just so. One of the characters in C.S. Lewis' books called uh, the, the book Screwtape Letters. Brilliant book. It's this conversation between these two devils. They're trying to tempt people and get them, you know, trying to get them to go to hell. And so these two characters, these devils, are, are writing these letters. And they, this one character, this, their, their subject is this woman, and she falls into this pattern of too picky. And here's what the character of the devil says about the woman that they're trying to corrupt. He says this, the woman is what we may be called the all I want state of mind. All she wants is a cup of tea properly made or an egg properly boiled, a slice of bread properly toasted. But she never finds any servants or any friends who can do these simple things properly because her properly conceals an insatiable demand for the exact. Right? That was my best Downton Abbey. You're welcome. So, so most of our lives, what's behind this is, is something that's in most of our lives, and that is this need for control. What this is really about, this compulsion is a need for control. Let's face it, most of our lives feel out of our control. Isn't, when you think about it, most of your life is out of your control. You can't control other people, right? You're not, you're not supposed to try. Um, we're not, in, we're not in control of the world around us. And Jesus even says that we don't even know what tomorrow is going to hold or if we're even going to be here to see it, right? Jesus said that. And so we're not in control. And so food can often become this area where we try to over-control. It's like our way to make up for this lack of control. But the truth is this, and this is important for us to understand, when we try to take control, we're missing the truth of the kingdom that Jesus reminds us of in that scripture we just read. In verse 25, he said, Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So when we use food, when we use anything we consume to try to be in control, we're losing fact of a very important fact, and that it, we're losing sight of a very important fact, and that is we don't need to be in control. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't create the world. There's someone else who is in control. There's a bigger story going on around us than our little circumstances. Okay. The second phrase that we can think of when we're talking about gluttony is too luxurious. 
too luxurious. It's distinct from the first one. I'll explain how. The, the second way, too luxurious, and I have something here to kind of help us understand this. I don't know if you can see down there. This is a plate of uh, chocolate chip cookies. And uh, yes, they'll be here. Um, chocolate chip cookies. These are... <laughs> now, 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 we're talking about gluttony here today, people. At least try to pretend to have some restraint. Now, for the sake of this, let's say that these are very expensive chocolate chip cookies that were flown in from Belgium, and we'll pretend that's true. Um, so, too luxurious. I bring this because I have a seven-year-old little boy who's precious, and I love him, and he will forego every human instinct for survival if you will place a plate of cookies in front of him. He would happily, happily suffer the effects of malnutrition if he could just eat cookies every meal, every day. He, he, he'll, he'll deal with that later. He, he's like, yeah, okay, I may die, but cookies, I can deal with it. He's seven. Um, he has learned how to, in the morning, if Mel and I are still sleeping, he'll tiptoe sweetly into our room. He knows how to put on the cute face and the cute voice. And, Mommy, Daddy, can I have cookies for breakfast? Can I have cookies for breakfast? Now, we're good parents. Most of the time, we say no. Most of the time. Um, so we fall into this pattern of eating too luxuriously. Um, I've heard it called too sumptuously, expensively. When, when things in our life are meant to be treats, you know, there's things in your life that you go do on a special occasion or something like that. They're meant to be a treat. And, you know, you go get a really amazing steak or something like that. But now, when we suffer from this kind of gluttony, we cannot be satisfied without them. We can't be satisfied. The day doesn't seem complete without it, right? And what's behind that often is this inner need to feel valued, and so we have to kind of like prove our value, prove our worth, prove that we're valuable either to our, or just to ourselves or to other people. And so we say, well, nobody knows how hard I work. I deserve this. I deserve this every day, right? Every day or, or, or every week. It might be, you know, something you go do every week. But my day doesn't feel complete until I eat this special treat. I must have it every single day. I come home after work. I must enjoy this extravagant thing that's probably meant to be enjoyed, you know, very infrequently, but I'm going to enjoy this extravagant thing every single day in order to feel valued, to prove my value. I knew a guy once who would only drink this very expensive brand of water. It was, it like bubbled up in some particular valley in France and was like bottled by elves or something. And <laughs> it was very expensive. And, you know, he always drank this. He, if he came over to your house, he would bring it. You know, because, you know, heaven forbid he drinks your tap water or something like that. Um, if he's at a restaurant, they didn't have it. He always made a big fuss. Oh, oh it's like we're in the third world. Um, you know, this, the water, the water. Um, and what, is he, what was he trying to do? He's trying to show, look who I am. I'm of value. I deserve this. And when we're preoccupied with trying to prove our value, we miss the deeper kingdom truth, again, that Jesus is trying to remind us of. In verse 24, he said, Consider the ravens, how much more valuable you are than birds. So when we're so busy trying to use food 
trying to fill that spiritual malnutrition, we miss the greater truth. We actually don't have to prove our value at all. That's the greater truth. Because God created us and he considers you priceless. You don't have to prove your value. He already says you're priceless. The third way we see gluttony pop up in our life, too hasty. Too hasty. And let's see here. Nothing represents too hasty more than the golden arches. All right? The golden arches. Stay right there. There you go. Um, Now, let me ask you a question. Think about this. The last time you went to one of these places, fast food, when you find yourself eating some form of fast food, junk food, something like that, who here really make sure that you slow down to eat this meal. You want to savor every bite of this mystery meat, right? You slow down. You get your Big Mac and your fries that somehow took 11.3 seconds to cook, bag, and hand to you. And then you get it, and you find a nice table somewhere, set everything out, breathe deep, Thank God for his blessings. You put your napkin in your lap, right? And slowly and thoughtfully, you chew every scrumptious bite. One French fry at a time, right? You never put more than one at a time in your mouth, right? It's it's one because you want to savor it. Thoughtfully contemplating this miracle of, of mechanized farming that somehow was able to bring this burger from cow to table to you, right? You savor every bite. Are you kidding me? No way. It's called fast food for a reason, right? You get that bag of food, and you are like halfway through your burger before you've pulled away from the girl that handed it to you, right? You're out in the street and missing cars and shoving that thing down, right? Or you're like me. I I do this. Sitting at our desk, scarfing it down really fast because we got that 1230 meeting, and we haven't finished the report or whatever it is, you know? So you're scarfing that thing down, right? Or you're eating moms standing up over the sink, Right? Because you've got to get the dinner on the table for the kid because he's got to, he's barely enough time for it to get it on the table and then get them to karate practice. So you're shoveling that down. Or you feel like a bad parent in the morning because you're throwing a cold Pop-Tart at him in the back seat on the way to school. <laughs> That's reality. So when we find ourselves in this pattern of too hasty, see, we've filled our time. We have filled our time so much what we're actually missing out on is the, the gifts of God. We're missing out on his gifts because even, even our food, did you know, was truly meant to be a gift. It's a gift from God. And what we've told ourselves is I got to provide for myself. I got to keep going. I can't stop. I got to provide for myself. If I don't do it, nobody will do it. And I don't have time to actually be fully alive and fully present in this moment. This moment doesn't count. I got to get to that next moment. And that's the deadly lie of busyness, right? We've fallen into, we've fallen into this life that is filled to the brim, and, and yet we remain perpetually unfulfilled. We're filled, but we're unfulfilled. And nothing that we fill ourselves with is actually meaningful. And when's the last time you had a meaningful meal, you know, because of the people you were with and what you were doing and celebrating and, and contemplating? We can't stop enough to pause and reflect and savor and be thankful. Jesus, he comes through. He reminds us, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. 
They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. When, we're, when we get addicted to this pattern of, of rushing through our meals, we're rushing, rushing, like, 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 like the food is kind of just in the way, the meal is in the way of the stuff we got to get done, we're not being fully alive. That's a terrible way to live. We miss out on that kingdom reality that Jesus is reminding us of, that even the food we eat is a gift from God. We, what we eat, what we put in our body is a gift from God. So it should be acknowledged. It should be, we should be thankful for it. Number four. Number four is too greedy. When you eat too greedily. And what I have here let's see, is some, I don't know if you can see that, some tortilla chips. Because, and the story behind that is because there's this phenomenon that happens to me when I go to a Mexican restaurant. <laughs> You're laughing because you've been there, right? You've eaten with me. You saw it. You were like this. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> is he going to be all right? He knows they're going to refill that, right? <laughs> Something happens. They put a bowl of chips in front of me, and it's like I'm in a competition. Suddenly, I am representing the USA <laughs> in the X Games of Eating. God bless America. I've got to eat these things, right? Because they're going to be gone in a little while. So I've got I've to eat the most chips before that bowl runs out. And they're going to refill it. But I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking to myself, these are like free chips, <laughs> right? I mean, I ordered food, but these are free. This is all you can eat. Everything in me is like, this is your moment. Right? Score in life right here. This is your moment to beat the system. Eat every free chip you can. The lie behind this form of gluttony, eating too greedily, is, is this, that there's not enough to go around. There's not enough to go around. If I don't get mine now, I am going to miss out. There's not enough to go around. I got, I'm going to miss out. It's a scarcity mindset when you think about it. Right? Zero sum. It's the fear that there's only so much to go around, so I better pile up my plate like, you know, a Jenga tower. And, and this stock-up mentality, it's part of our culture. We stock up, right? You go to Costco, Sam's Club, you see that crate of like 12 family packs of cheese, and you think, I probably need two of those, because <laughs> they might not have this next week, Right? Um, even though you know you're not going to finish that this year, and you know there's stuff in the back of your fridge that you've got to throw out every week, right? Because we've stocked up, we stock up. It's going to go unused. What does Jesus say about this? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things. And your Father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. When we're trying to seek security, in this way, we never feel secure. You feel the opposite of secure. We know the only way to feel secure is a heart that's rooted in God's kingdom, to trust that God knows what we need. Not always what we want. We're not always going to get everything we want, but he's going to make sure we get what we need. All right. Last one. Last one is this phrase, too much. This is the one we typically think of when we think of gluttony. And this is one that's particularly difficult. It's particularly personally painful. Too much. And the thing that I have 
for this jello. Why? Because there's always room for jello. There's always room for jello. Gluttony amplifies everything. It, it overrides that natural instinct that, that we have to self-regulate. You're full? Gluttony says, ignore that. <laughs> don't pay attention to that. You don't need one cookie, you need ten. Uh, you don't need one hour of TV, you need four hours of TV. You don't need one video game, you need eight hours of video games. You need to play that for four days straight. Um, imbalance, right? Gluttony says, let's keep this pleasure machine cranking. Why stop? And so, now, oh, listen, this isn't about that once a year when you overeat at Thanksgiving. You know, that's, you know, you, you, you're, you're at Thanksgiving, you eat too much, you lean back, unbutton your pants. Is that just me? Have I said too much? <laughs> you know, and you say, oh, I'm such a glutton. Really? This isn't about that. This is about a pattern of the heart. A pattern of the heart. And for me, this is something I, I struggle with personally. In that food becomes a distraction. And the thing that I hate when I recognize it's happening is food will actually capture my attention away from things in life that really matter more. It'll capture my attention. This is a revelation I had one day and that I had become preoccupied with food and I was mentally filling the space inside me before I got there, right? Before I got to the meal, I was already eating it. I was already filling the space with it. And, and God is so good. He is faithful. He will help me be aware of this when it's starting to happen. There's this voice that'll kind of go off now, and it's like, you know, this food matters more to you than it should, right? There's something out of balance here. Very often, God speaks to me through the eyebrows of my beautiful wife. <laughs> I look up to see that alarmed look on her face, and I realize I've, I have got the fourth hot dog shoved in my mouth while wearing the remnants of the other three on my shirt. Uh, oh, too much, right? So thank God for people who love us enough to occasionally say, think about what you're doing. Um, now, here's something I would, I would encourage all of us who struggle with this, all of us who struggle with this, this, this is important. Don't just make yourself promises. Don't just make yourself resolutions. Don't just plan another diet. Recognize this for what it is, the sin of gluttony. Recognize it. Name it. Because what happens when we don't avoid that hard truth, when we just come out and name it, is what happens is we take away, it's the first step of taking away its power. Name it. That's the sin of gluttony. Spiritual problems need a spiritual cure. And here's the good news. You don't have to conquer this on your own. It's a spiritual cure. That means you don't have to do this on your own. I can go to Jesus and say, God, I am sorry. I have let what ought to be a blessing... Be what you meant to be this vehicle of gratitude, I've let it become sin. And I need you to help this not matter like it does. There's something in my life that's out of balance. It matters too much, and God can help you. He will. He's faithful. He loves you. Now, now listen, here's the interesting thing about this. 
as God starts to do this in your life, as he starts to work in your heart and work on that misuse of food, don't be surprised if all sorts of other feelings start to bubble up when you do this. Feelings you didn't even know or like acknowledge were there. Because we use food to soothe ourselves. We use food to self-medicate, to suppress other feelings. Feelings of loneliness or self-worth, fear, hurts. We use food that way. And so when this form of gluttony shows up, eating too much, often, very often, there is a fear lying beneath the surface. We have this fear that there's something that will consume me if, if I don't suppress it. Right? This... This thing could overwhelm me unless I overwhelm it with food. Keep it packed down, right? And Jesus gives us a beautiful invitation into a different kind of life. In verse 32, he says, Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Don't be afraid. When we try to comfort ourselves with food, we try to fill that empty place, we miss the fact that the kingdom of God is a place of healing. It's a place of healing. It's a place of wholeness and restoration. The kingdom of God is a place where your wounds don't get the last word. God gets the last word. And his word brings healing. So, ultimately, gluttony is built on a big lie, right? It's one of those dead lies. It's built on a lie. It promises to fill you, but it can't fulfill you. It just leaves us empty. But God has a better way. He's got a better way. Hallelujah. It's the third way. God always has this third way. Society tells us, it's this or this. God says, actually, third way. Jesus comes along. And that third way, it's not a life addicted to pleasure. And it's not a life devoid of pleasure. Imagine. It's a life devoted to Christ in love with Jesus. It's a life of ultimate satisfaction, a life of faith, of trusting in Jesus, even when you don't really know what tomorrow is going to hold, but trusting him to fulfill you every step of the way. And I'm learning to walk in that too. So what's our path to freedom from gluttony? What's our path? It always starts with the same thing. What's that? Confession and repentance. You're not going to get anywhere just reading self-help books and going on more diets. First thing you got to do, we got to do the hard work of confessing it and repent, turn, commit to repent. That's always the first step. The second thing that I want to encourage you to consider is something we can all do more. And what's beautiful is, is our Christian tradition actually offers us a practice that helps to reorient our heart to God's kingdom. And that practice is called fasting. Fasting. Yay, fasting, <laughs> right? There's this misconception that fasting is like all about, you know, being in pain and being miserable. What fasting is, is this. It's allowing ourselves a little bit of emptiness in our lives. It's not being afraid of the silence. Allowing a little emptiness. It's not really about suffering and being miserable. It's actually about creating space, that's what you're doing. You're creating space. Dan Allender says fasting, whether it's from food or an activity or a pursuit, it's the act of ridding ourselves of our fullness in order to set the stage for the Holy Spirit to show up in our lives. We're ridding ourselves of fullness because we're, we're too full on something, right? So how can we get full on God? 
if we're too full on other things. So we're, we're ridding ourselves of that so the Holy Spirit can show up in our lives. When we fast, what we're doing is reminding ourselves of what Jesus said, and that is that life is more than food. It's more than food, and that we are not our source. God is our source. Amen? God is our source. God provides for this. And what happens is in the fast, we are declaring, you know what? I am not a slave to my appetites. I belong only to Jesus. I am a slave to nothing and no one but Jesus Christ. We're not a slave to our appetites any longer. So for the cure for gluttony, surprise, it's not just to go on another diet. It's not never order your favorite coffee or eat a cookie, or never have fast food, or eat chips before your meal, or jello after your meal. That's not the cure. That's not the secret. It's about bringing these habits of our heart before Jesus and allowing him to transform us. That's how we be people changed by God to change the world. We allow Jesus to transform us. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. And as they're doing that, I just want to pray for you this morning. Hallelujah. Father God, we love you so much. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your healing for all of us, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for your comfort, your peace, your restoration, Lord. The people who are here today, Father, and there's something, they, they have some kind of issue going on with food. Lord God, you meant that to be a blessing and not a curse to us, Father God. Teach us your ways. Teach us how to walk in that kind of balance, Lord God. Teach us how to be thankful for everything that you give us, to slow down and acknowledge you, Lord God. I thank you for your healing. You're wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Now, all my best friends, I want to leave you with this blessing. All right? Here it is. May you walk out of here no longer ruled by your appetites, but set free by the blood of Jesus. May you open your heart to the only one who can give you true comfort, true healing, and true satisfaction. And may your wounds no longer get the final say of who you are. Because Jesus Christ has declared you healed. He's declared you victorious. He's declared you beautiful. Amen? Amen. You guys have a wonderful week. If you need prayer for anything at all, I encourage you to come down. Let these beautiful people pray for you in faith. These are like prayer warriors. They know what they're doing. And it is not the same when these guys pray for you. Hallelujah. If you're our guest for the first time, again, please go and, and check out the Welcome Center so we can meet you. We'd love to meet you there. And uh, other than that, we're fixing to celebrate a little bit with some baptism. So keep that in mind. Pray for our, our new members. And you guys have a wonderful week. Grace and peace.
Yo, we-